Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. I want to talk just a little bit about being intentionally intrusive in our relationships. And I mean both of those words, to be intentional and intrusive, to go beyond the fig leaves of our lives. If there was ever a time in in our lives where we needed to be bonding together in reciprocal Christian relationships for our spiritual survival, this is that time. The temptation for us is to live superficial relationships, always at a distance from other people. And I get that. I understand why. Living in a relationship with anyone means that you're going to be disappointed and hurt by them. I talk about when two people get married, strangers marry each other because, well, quite honestly, you can't know all you need to know about a person until you marry them. And then these two sinners enter into a box and live two sinners in a box for the rest of their lives. That's when you begin to understand the, the, the fullness of who this individual is. And because of that, well, you will be disappointed and hurt, not just by our spouses, but if you have offspring and and you add more sinners into your box, well, you're going to be hurt by them as well. But it gets worse as we go out in society, as we enter into a church context. It's absolutely unavoidable. Since Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, we have been helplessly unable to escape relational conflict. I could test my thesis by asking you a few questions. Have you ever been hurt by someone? Well, that's a silly question. Of course you have. Have you ever been annoyed by another person? Well, that's in the affirmative, too. What about being disappointed or put out by the actions of a close friend? Maybe that person was a relative. Now, I know that these questions are silly questions, but they do prove that having relationships are hard and difficult and challenging and and disappointing. Living in a fallen world among fallen souls, it just implies friction and and conflict and, and disappointment. People have hurt you, but let's turn it around. We don't want to take the victim mindset and, and be one of those people that talks about, yeah, this is what they did to me. I mean, I'm not minimi- minimalizing that. But the truth is, we have hurt other people by our words and our actions. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. You can be two sinners in a box as a married couple. And then you can have little sinners and offspring and continue to grow more and more sinners in a box. And then as you go into your church community, go into your workplace, go into your school, go to uh, the local grocery store. Conflict will always be part of our lives. The only way to successfully stay away from these conflicts is to stay away from people. Now, that is not possible, and it's also not wise. There are many things that you can do by yourself, but sanctification is not one of those things. We need to be in community with other people. I mean, imagine this. Even if you could avoid community, Even if you could extract yourself from humanity and build the world's tallest platform and live on top of it, we would continue to simmer. 
in the war that happens inside of us, as James talked about in, in James 4. All of us have different degrees of soul noise that kind of bubbles up inside of our lives. And we feel that war inside of us even when we are by ourselves. We can't escape human conflict, whether it's our internal soul noise or the things that are happening all around us. Not until God glorifies us in the hereafter. And this is where Paul steps in and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Because of our friction-filled lifestyles, there are some folks that seek inferior constructs to satisfy their God-given desires for community. You see, God is a community, Father, Son, and Spirit. We are made in His image, in the image of a Trinitarian communal God. It is not God. It is not good for man to be alone. There is something in us that just creates this proportion to where we want to be with other people. But if you've been hurt so many times, uh, you could start pulling away from community and build fences and walls and boundaries and razor wire around yourself and isolate, but that will only perpetuate torment. Some of these pseudo-constructs that people love it gives them a semblance of community, even though it's not the real thing. It's like social media, for example. Social media opens a door. It creates a portal for people to engage others while protecting themselves from hurt. I mean, you can unfriend or unfollow someone with the click of a button. That sounds really good for some people. And, of course, if it does, that is, is sad. At best, these cyber relationships are partial ones. They don't get behind the fig leaves. Whatever you see in 2D, you're seeing their best foot forward. You're not seeing the other foot. You could even dupe yourself into believing that these people have it all together, as though total depravity doesn't exist in social media relationships. Well, if we're only presenting a facade of our lives, the front-facing side of our lives, and not giving any depth and not providing the whole story, yeah, we can be duped into believing that something is true, when in reality we know that it's not because all you have to do is build relationally with them in real time and space, but that is the problem. Many people don't want to do that many times because of what has happened to them in the past. Even our internet ministry here at Life Over Coffee is insufficient. We can only hear limited perspectives when people come to us looking for help. It's usually a one-sided story because the other party rarely is part of the conversations that we have on our supporting member forums. We're unable to enter into their worlds. And by the way, that is a core component of the gospel, of gospel relationship building. Jesus entered a real world with real lives. But we meet with our friends in cyberspace, on social media platforms, or, or lifeovercoffee.com. Always distant from them, always limited in how we can serve and help each other. I mean, even counseling, biblical counseling, which I am a fan of, it is a limited context where the counselor is trying to know the real story of a person 
without entering into the fuller narrative of their lives where God is writing their stories, the counselor will not know them the way someone needs to know them. The counseling office is an artificial context to meet people. You're not in their living rooms. You're not meeting with them in in the milieu, the environment in which they exist. Counseling offices, social media sites, and yeah, even lifeovercoffee.com, it can shield people from being fully discerned. And these limitations circumvent up-close practical help, and those are essential pieces of soul care, but they are unavailable in these pseudo-contexts. Now, the essential pieces, I could extrapolate and say things like true transparency and 360-degree transparency, honesty, vulnerability, unmasked truth, You can't have these values in partial, disguised, or inadequate constructs. There needs to be a new and living way. And so what I would like to do for the remainder here is is work through a passage of Scripture that really lays out a new and living way. And that is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. If you're listening to this at home and and you're able, I would encourage you to open your Bible. For my friends who uh, that I run with, uh, those of you who listen by podcasts and are running alongside the beach or other places where they have told me where they uh, run as they listen to these podcasts, I would encourage you when you get home, just make a mental note of Hebrews 10. Uh, verses 19 through 25, and read this passage. I'm going to share it with you now uh, in two parts, uh, and then hopefully that will help. But I really encourage you to take some time to study this passage yourself when you have that moment that you can pull away and and look at it more deeply. Uh, Perhaps you can go to our uh, website here. The title of this is The Benefit of Being Intentionally Intrusive in Our Relationships. And if you type the word intentionally or type the word intrusive, if you type the word intrusive, this will come up for you. And by the way, you can slide down to the bottom of this article and you can print it off in a PDF. And that way you can read uh, the passage that I'm sharing with you, and then you can mark up your paper uh, that you print it off. Again, there's a big print button right in the middle at the very bottom, just under the article. And again, the title is The Benefit of Being Intentionally Intrusive in Our Relationships. All right, so I want to divide this passage into two parts. Uh, the first part is really foundational and is absolutely essential. If you don't get the first part, then you can't practicalize the second part. So the first part will give us the context. And then the second part, I'm going to give you some practical application to, to have intentionally intrusive lives uh, with other people. And so the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, Christians, those who have been born again, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and I want you to hear these words like confidence. We have confidence because of the blood of Jesus. That is important. I like to think of it this way, that my greatest problem in life has been resolved at the cross. Therefore, every other problem in life is secondary or tertiary uh, compared to what uh, my greatest problem was 
my sin against the offended power, against God Almighty, and that has been resolved at the cross. And because of that, I have confidence. I have nothing to fear, nothing to protect, and nothing to hide. And so I can enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is, as the writer says, through his flesh that was torn uh, on Calvary. And because we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. So now we have this confidence because of what Christ has done on the cross. We can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then he finishes with this sentence, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And that is really the, that, that is the overarching statement right there. He who promised is faithful. And because uh, he is faithful, he who promised, we can do this with the full assurance of faith. We can draw near with confidence. And so this is a grounding. This is a foundational text in which we build our relationships. And the Bible is calling us to live differently from superficial cyber or, or inadequate counseling relationships. The Bible calls us to be intentionally intrusive in people's lives so that Jesus can transform us. The truth is we have all that, all that we need to be better at relationship building. But the truth also is, is that there can be a timidity in appropriating these things into our lives. Some of us are not drawing close with, with confidence and the full assurance of faith, resting in the promise of Him who is faithful, that we are not enjoying intentionally intrusive living the relational in-depth benefits that we expect from the Christian family. And because of the prevalence of false intimacy, these false intimate constructs like social media that can be so tempting, and for some people that's all they know, many Christians have not had this kind of intentionally intrusive living in their lives. And so it begs the question, where do you begin? Where do you begin to become a, a better relationship builder within God's family. Well, that's what that context is laying out for us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. You see, we connect our ability to persevere with others on the ground level, human beings. Our ability to persevere with people, especially irritating people, that's connected to our relationship with God and how we appropriate His life to ours. And that's why you want to understand this context, the confidence that we have, the full assurance of faith that we can draw near because he is faithful who promised. A transformative relationship with the Lord will give us what we need to interact with anyone, regardless of how challenging that person may be. I mean, perhaps you can invert the solution by thinking about an improper relationship with God. 
a person with a proper relationship with God, that they are confident, they're drawing near with the full assurance of faith. Well, a person with that kind of relationship, they will be able to persevere in these human relationships. But if you invert that, you could say it this way. If someone struggles relationally with others on the ground level, and it's a pattern, not an episode, but this is a pattern in their life. They just struggle relationally with people, no matter where they go. Then that individual needs to address their relationship with God. Let me say it clearly. An inadequate relationship with God is the soil that will grow weeds in human relationships. That's why it's so important. You cannot be intentionally intrusive in anyone's life if you do not have a grounded and growing relationship with God Almighty. If Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 23 are not, it's not your animating center, not governing your heart, then if you go out and try to build relationally with other people without being anchored and maturing in your relationship with God, it will not go well. A key passage in understanding how to have solid biblical relationships is Hebrews 10, 19-25. And in the first part of the passage that I just read to you, the writer talks about how the right kind of life with Christ motivates and empowers us to have the correct kind of life with others. Let me give you a synopsis of the first part of this passage, 19 through 23. It could sound like this. Harmonic living with others is proportional to our appropriation of Christ into our lives. If we apply the gospel appropriately to our lives, we will be ready to practically live it out in community, which is the second part of the passage, how to live well with others. And so let's say that we are anchored in God, verses 19 through 23. We are just standing in confidence, our true assurance of faith. Our hearts have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ. We have nothing to fear, nothing to protect, nothing to hide, because we are resting on His promises, and we know that He who, is prom who has promised these things is faithful. So we are anchored. And so with that as the context of our souls, stabilizing our souls, now we can apply the passage by going and being in true intrusive in other people's lives. That's verses 24 and 25. This is what the passage says. Let me practically apply it. The text says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the as you see the day drawing near. That's verses 24 and 25. I want to break this into three parts. Practic practically considering, practically confronting, and practically comforting. Those are three key aspects that we see in this text that is born out of our relationship with God. So let's take a look at practically considering. Before you can be in the right relationship with another person, we must first consider 
the other person. Now, the word consider in this text, let me go back and say it again. And let us consider how to stir one another up to loving good deeds. Before you can consider, uh, uh, before you can help another person, you have to consider the other person. And the word consider in this text means to become to become a student of the person in your life. You are uh, studying them. That's what you're doing. You are studying that individual. Your goal is to exegete them. That is a homiletical word for a preacher, homiletics, the, the art of or the skill of, of preaching. You exegete a passage of Scripture. You exegete another individual. It's like raking leaves in the fall where you go out into your yard and you just rake and rake and rake and rake until you get to the bottom of it all. That is what exegesis means. You go into a, a word, a verse, a text, a sentence, a paragraph, and you just exegete until you understand uh, what that word, verse, a paragraph, what those sentences are saying. You have to consider the other person in your life. You want to spend time thinking about them before you talk to them. Now, isn't that what James says? Uh, be quick to listen and, and slow to speak. All good Christian disciples know and practice this method of relationship building. I mean, even while a person is talking, you are actively listening to them. You're not preparing. <laughs> you're not preparing what you're going to say. Some people do that. You know, it's like you can see it in their eyes. It's like their eyes are just rolling or bubbling as they're ready to say something. It's like, I need to get through what I'm saying here because that person ain't listening to me. They're ready to say what they, uh, they have predetermined they're going to say. No, that's not how you build a relationship. You're actively listening. listening. Uh, you're listening to what they're saying. You're also listening to what they're not saying. You're discerning their presuppositions, their worldview, their categories, their interpretive grid, their shaping influences. You observe their words because you want to know what their actions reveal from their hearts. And that's how we listen at two levels. Their actions are doing this or saying this, but you know those actions are sourced in their heart. As Jesus said in 645 of Luke, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you hear the words they're saying above ground, and you're listening to where those hearts, uh, those words are produced. In this perspective, it's how Jesus listened to people. He wanted to know what was in them so that he could speak genuine truth in love. You cannot help a person. You cannot be an intentionally intrusive individual if you do not consider them. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. You have to spend time considering them. A healthy Christian community is always considering each other. I am not talking about cynicism. I'm not talking about judging other people. I'm talking about charity and discernment out of a heart of charity, a, a motive to be a restorative friend. You are discerning them as you hear their words and where those words are sourced in their heart. God has called us to consider how to help other people, to be a better reflection of Jesus Christ. And so point number one, in order to be intentionally intrusive in each other's lives, let us consider how to stir one another up. 
I want to ask you a few questions at all three of these points here. And again, you can go to the article at lifeovercoffee.com, the benefit of being intentionally intrusive in our relationships and, and print it off or just use the URL and, and you can copy and paste right from our website. But do you have people in your life who think about you? Do you have at least one person who considers you? Do you have people who have permitted you to speak into their lives? And you want that reciprocality. You want someone to consider you, and of course, you want to spend time considering them. That is the reciprocality of these intentionally intrusive relationships. If you are married, that reciprocality should be your marriage. It should be. That should be your first and foremost, your primary relationship. Unfortunately, I know that I know that's not true. Uh, I get the emails. I, I get the folks that come to our supporting members forum, and I, I know that's not true. Uh, but still, that is how it should be, and that is the goal that we should aim toward. And if your marriage is not like that, then I would encourage you to get help. But you need at least one person who is considering you and you're considering them and you're intentionally building. Question number three, are you doing life with other individuals who are committed to this kind of one anothering? Now, if you hang out with a superficial crowd, like everybody in the crowd is kind of shallow and superficial, then I would just pray and, and ask God to bring that one friend along. You can't have five or ten of these friends because of the time that's involved in it, but you can have at least one, and I would ask God to, uh, to bring that person to you. And so how do you have intentionally intrusive lives? Well, first of all, it's grounded on our profession of faith, that we have confidence because of what God has done. Our relationship with God sets the stage for being intentionally intrusive in people's lives. And then point number one is, let us consider, point number two, how to stir one another up, practically confronting you can translate the word stir up as spur, which you would see in the King James Bible, provoke, or even irritate each other biblically. And so I would modify irritate by say, saying biblically irritate. According to the Hebrews writer's context, the idea of ir irritating is not a sinful one. It is a command <laughs> that means you are to be intentionally intrusive in other people's lives. For example, if you have people around you who are not allowed to disagree with you, you will not grow. You're heading towards spiritual death if you're too touchy, too insecure, too self-important, too image-conscious, too self-righteous. The sins that can most easily destroy us are the ones that we cannot see. The most dangerous part of our sin problem is our blindness to our blindness. The deceitfulness of sin causes us to minimize or to rationalize or to justify or even not admit our sin. The mark of a mature Christian community is people who do not want to be blind to their sins. This kind of authenticity requires friends who are willing to go below the surface of each other's lives. And so I talked about practically considering now I'm talking about practically confronting. Here are some questions for you. Have you permitted your friends to disagree with you? Can your friends disagree with you without sinful reactions from you? 
Number two, are you willing to lovingly disagree with your friends for their good and, and God's glory? Number three, do you live in a community where intentional, intrusive living is the norm? So we are practically considering, practically, practically confronting, and then point number three, we are practically comforting. Let us comfort one another. The Greek word for comforting is parakaleo, which means to come alongside of another person. Coming alongside another person is a critical thought in this text. While considering a person, while confronting an individual in a context of spurring them on to loving good works, they absolutely have to know that you care for them. The for them aspect of any relationship is at the heart of the gospel. I am for you. You are for that person that you are correcting. Paul said in Romans 8, 31, If God is for you, who can be against you? For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects, as we see a couple more chapters away from here in Hebrews chapter 12. The people that we correct need to know that we are for them. We are imitating the gospel. If God is for us, who can be against you? I am for you. I am not against you. The main reason any Christian is willing to receive the Lord's corrective care is because he knows that God is for us. It is unwise, unbiblical, and unkind to correct any person that we are not for. Now, it doesn't mean that we are for their sin. We can be for a person and not be for their sin. If we don't get this right in our hearts and in our deliveries, our corrective care may be punitive rather than redemptive, and that will be a problem. Now, I think as you might imagine with some of your friends that it will be essential to practice, essential practice in bringing restorative care that we need to be praying for our friends. If we have not spent time praying for and about the person, then our correction may have a sinful edge. This is not a technique. This is the heart of, of what God would want us to do for our, our friends. We have to spend time in prayer, especially with those difficult people, but we want to do it with all people. If we are not praying for those that we are confronting, our care will come across as harsh or unkind. Now, let's suppose that we have spent time before the Father, bringing the annoying people in our lives to Him while pleading with Him to adjust our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, our actions toward them. In that case, we will build them up and not tear them down if we have spent time praying for them before we bring our comfort. Now, finally on comfort, Paul does provide a helpful reminder when helping others, and you're quite familiar with this passage in 2 Corinthians. He said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so we are practically considering practically confronting and practically comforting. How often do you pray for those you need to correct? Number two, do those you biblically irritate 
those that you biblically confront? Do they feel your affection for them as you are biblically irritating them? Number three, could those you bring corrections to, could they make a case for how you are for them? Maybe this would be a good question for parents when they discipline their children. Could your children, as they experience your correction, could they also testify, if they knew how to articulate such things, how you are for them, even as you are correcting them? We cannot do sanctification alone. We must have a community of loving, Christ-like, intrusive friends to spur us on to change. The author of Hebrews knew his readers' dire straits, which is why he used strong language to motivate them toward love and, and good works. People were murdering them. His twofold aim in this text was to elevate the gospel's power in verses 19 through 23 while giving them practical instruction on mobilizing as a community to strengthen each other. If we are not accessing the community of faith while seeking to have that community know us the way that we need to be known, our sanctification is in danger of shipwrecking. There is no biblical argument otherwise. We have all experienced hurt by people, especially other Christians. Yes, we do shoot each other, don't we? Nevertheless, this does not negate this passage's truth or the need for total immersive body ministry. I need people in my life who are willing to love me enough to bring corrective care to me. I am aware that they will love me imperfectly, which is why I must know that they are for me. I can receive their imperfect care if they have demonstrated that they are on my side through their comforting encouragement. I'm not asking my friends to agree with me, turn a blind eye to my sin, or coddle me. I am asking them to love God enough to be motivated to be used by Him to speak into my life, especially in areas where I am self-deceived. There is safety in this kind of community, and we must not be satisfied until we live in it. I've titled this, The Benefit of Being Intentionally Intrusive in Our Relationships. You can find that title at lifeovercoffee.com. I have several call-to-action questions here at the bottom of the article. There are five of them all together. I'll not share them here with you. You can go to Life Over Coffee. Again, you can look for the benefit of being intentionally intrusive in our relationships. Or I've asked you nine questions throughout, and you can use those, and, and that will get you where you desire to go, uh, being an intentionally intrusive uh, friend. Uh, may the Lord bless you. Thank you for watching the video, listening to the podcast. Please share our content uh, with your friends. And those of you who are able to support our ministry, would you do that? Uh, we do produce a lot. We do a lot. We do it on purpose. Uh, I love doing it. I love helping people. But I also understand that there's a business side to this relationship and we uh, to, to what we do. There are bills to pay. There are people asking uh, to be paid for what they provide for us. And so if you're able to take us on as a, a ministry, a missional ministry, a local church, or an individual, it would truly help us to continue to do what we do. Otherwise, please share our resources with 1,000 of your closest friends. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. 
Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.